I was raised on a poultry farm, actually. I'm from Saskatchewan, and I grew up on a mixed grain and poultry farm. And so I knew it from more the kind of what would say business aspect of it. And mm -hmm. so after after I graduated college and moved and I have a farm of my, my own now, my husband said to me, are we going to have chickens? And I went, hell no. I says, I know, uh, I know how much work they are. And no, 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 no. We're not having chickens. We're not having cows. Like, mm -mm, no way. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre. If you're active at all, whether you're running or simply out walking for the day, you've probably experienced one of the number one problems that active people have, and that's chafing. Solpre's all-new, all-natural anti-chafe balm solves that problem while feeding your skin the vital nutrients it needs to be healthy. If you'd like to stop chafing once and for all and treat your body right, go to solpre.com to check out the anti-chafe balm today. And that's S-O-L-P-R-I.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today is a self-described ultramarathon Clydesdale back-of-the-pack type runner. Um, she is now coaching for back-of-the-pack cutoff chasers. And maybe most importantly, you know, she doesn't live in the Midwest, but I do. And I feel like we've got some some culture connection here. She's a chicken farmer. Welcome to the show, Sherry Donahue. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> uh, so Sherry, let, let's start with the icebreaker. Why do you raise chickens? Um, you know, I was, we, before we got going, I was talking about how I know it. there's several neighbors in my area that raise chickens. I'm in the Midwest. Um, you're in Alberta. Um, so for people who aren't familiar, which includes me, I'm only tangentially familiar. What's, what's up with the chickens? Is it an Alberta culture thing? Are you just a big chicken fan? How did they get started? I was raised on a poultry farm, actually. I'm from Saskatchewan, and I grew up on a mixed grain and poultry farm. And so I knew it from more the kind of what would say business aspect of it. And mm -hmm. so after after I graduated college and moved and I have a farm of my, my own now, my husband said to me, are we going to have chickens? And I went, hell no. I says, I know, uh, I know how much work they are. And no, 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 no. We're not having chickens. We're not having cows. Like, mm -mm, no way. And it wasn't, I don't know what the heck happened, but all of a sudden I got chickens. And I actually look at them now. They're more my pets mm. with benefits rather than having as a business. I'm not in for, for like what it was when I grew up. It was meat production and egg production. I'm not necessarily interested in that. I like to watch the community of chickens. I love roosters. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I have roosters. I have hens. I have pretty colors. I, they have personalities and that's, that's mainly what I have them for. They're my, uh, they're my, they're my mental, mental, uh, mental health release type deal. Yeah. And then, you know, they're a, a pet that gives something back besides just, uh, snuggling. Of course you can get eggs and then you've got, you know, some kind of food source there. You take care of them. Is it, is it true if you take better care of them, they'll lay more eggs? I like to think so. They're a happy chicken. <laughs> I uh, wouldn't know either way. Well, much of the chagrin of my father who grew up on a farm, but. Um, 
I would, I would think so. I, I a happy chicken, like you could tell the difference between a happy chicken and a stressed chicken. And uh, I don't know. Think about yourself. If you're in a stressful situation, you're not going to work. You're not going to put out your best productivity. But if you're a happy camper, you're going to put out much more productivity. You're going to be just a happier creature to be around. That's fair. That's fair. I, I think it makes plenty of sense. Even if you're not um, like died in the wool animals activist, which I'm, I'm not. I'm a little more realistic than that. But I think if you look at it from the perspective of like, you know, living creatures deserve our respect, then you come at it from a place of even if they don't produce more eggs, probably still best to treat them well and make sure they live, you know, happy lives. Um, so, Sherry, I, I, here, the elephant in the room, after reading your story, um, it, you know, it took you a, a period of time before you could call yourself an endurance athlete. Uh, and you describe yourself as a back of the pack runner. So, um, you know, a little facetiously, but I have to ask you, what the heck are you doing, Sherry? Like, wh- why are you, if you're not, if you're not after the podium, like, why, why are you out there? Oh, that's a fair question. Um, that's, that, that's a, I've asked that myself and I'll give you a little bit of info. I did not, I was not a runner all the way through. Um, for instance, we did not run like, you know, Saskatchewan. The only reason you ran is because either a, you were chased or your horse got out of the fence. Mm-hmm. So that's the only way we ran. And I didn't start running until after I was in my fifties. So after the age of 50, I started running. Now, I wasn't from the couch. I started as a, I'm a second degree black belt in, or second degree brown belt in Kung Fu. So why am I doing this? I came across this quite accidentally. I never thought, oh yeah, I'm going to start running. No, uh, no, not at all. I got dragged into a mud race and um, kicking, drag kicking and screaming, by the way, into a mud race and found out I didn't die. But why, I, why am I still here? Why do I keep going even though the chances are 99% I won't be on a podium? I have been on a podium, but 99%. It's just something I am. It's just something I've got a, I don't want to say obsession because that sounds into, into the world of um, addiction. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I love it. I love going out there. I love seeing what my what I can do, what I'm capable of. I love experiencing uh, new events, like I going to the desert to run or going to the mountains to run, big open sky. And uh, my last race was actually a marathon in my driveway. And mm. for anybody thinks a 30-foot driveway, no, I have a much longer driveway than that. But I still did a marathon in my driveway. It's just something that it's why why am I still here? I just want to see how good I can get. And I'm still back in the pack. I still want to get where it where is my best. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's something that I think in some ways it and again, I, I say this all lovingly. Uh, so if it comes out wrong, I apologize. But it's just I think it's in some ways like a gift that people in the back of the pack get a little bit easier than people in the front. Like sometimes I think people in the front become so obsessed with the p- possibility of winning because they have the potential to that they lose sight 
of that internal journey and trying to find your best, regardless of whether it, it involves being on the podium. Whereas like, if it's not a possibility, then you, you have to, I mean, what is the journey? You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? So I think in some ways it may come a little bit easier to somebody who is not at the front. Um, but it is something I try to stress to everybody that it ultimately, like we all get older, you can't stay on the top of the podium forever and you have to find deeper meaning in what you're doing at some point or another, no matter who you are or what speed you are. And I think sometimes those, those fast guys and gals, it smacks them in the face later on because they don't know what to do anymore when they can't, you know, they can't get on that podium. It, I had a conversation with a friend of mine and I, he was, he was in a really sinister seven relay and he found him, he very competitive guy. And he found himself on a team of beer drinkers. And I says, how was that for you? He says, refreshing. And when you mentioned the stress of podium and, and um, also like where you're going to place, that is actually very true for the front of the pack. But the back of the pack, the stress is meeting that damn cutoff. Mm -hmm. Am I fast enough? Am I good enough to be in that race? Do I run? Like, am I? Because the whole thing is like to run a race is to get that buckle at the end or that right. trinket or medal. And then there's the back of the packers that there's sometimes that they come to the finish, finish line and there's nobody there. Or yeah. they, they cross the line and kaboom, they're down like the the um the, oh, the archway. <laughs> the finish line is down. Yeah. There we go. And so there's that kind of stress, and there's a the what stress of a back of the hacker, particularly a cutoff chaser, am I good enough? Mm -hmm. Am I good enough? Because in a world that stresses speed, speed and to to get say for example podium here's the rest of us well what are we doing here and that is a that i find myself is like i'm not fast enough i'm not good i'm not good enough because the thing is a lot of races a back of the packer will be by themselves mm -hmm. and one thing that happens a lot especially is uh foot photography oh great everyone could get their photos and when the back of the packer looks and they've got maybe one yeah. Whereas the front of the pack has albums. Now, there was only one race I had that reversed is I had over 50 photos to choose from. It was a Rebel Marathon series. It was the I had the I had the photographers to myself and that was that was sweet. And uh, I cherish that. But yeah, the stresses, there's still stresses, but they're different stresses front versus back. And it's a different race at the back of the pack. It really is. Well, I think, too, just from the number of years now I've spent training alone, I, you know, I ran collegiately and then on from there, basically training by myself. It's, it's a different beast training and racing by yourself when you don't like it's, I, I had a friend in town, uh, last weekend, weekend before, I don't know, recently. And we went out for a run together and there's something so nice just about having somebody hanging with you, you run at the same speed, but it just feels a little easier. And I can only imagine, I, I'm a short distance guy. I like 5K, 10K. I, I've done the longer stuff and kind of I'm done with it for now. Um, but I can only imagine that that like, that weight of being by yourself only intensifies as the miles progress. 
I actually, uh, for some people it does. I love being by myself. Um, I just, I'm an introvert, so it's, I just tap into whatever is there. And I, I, I know, I just love it. And here's the weird thing is like, I don't go on group runs. I usually run with a select couple of friends. I don't care for group runs. But when I'm in a race, it's because I love it because I don't have to run with anybody. And guess what? I usually do end up running with people. Mm -hmm. And it's different for me. And it, and I know when I ran uh, my 100-mile attempt at Havelina in Phoenix, it was, um, I, even though I was with somebody else and I had a pacer, I was more in with myself. No, we're going to get as far as we're going to go. And, yeah, it is quite different to have somebody and... Um, yeah, and it's almost like, oh, wow, somebody's with me. <laughs> There's somebody to talk to. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I mean, well, I, I mean, the question is, do you run out of things to talk about? I mean, the race, the races last so long at that distance. Do you, do you just, you, you get a gap for a while and then just everything goes silent? Or you're like, all right, it's time to move on. You go find somebody else. Like, how does that usually unfold? Usually what unfolds, um, is I, because of my running type, my running style, I usually find a gear and I stay there. Mm -hmm. And there's usually somebody who matches me and, and I've had some people run with me through the whole race. Mm -hmm. And so the conversations, if, if um, in Havelina, a fellow was a local there, so we just kept talking about where we both lived and I wanted to find out about the course and if scorpions were really a threat or mm -hmm. what's what's up with that. and. It, the conversations that actually really flow and then there's times where we're silent we just want to be with you just okay you're there and we just want to be in that silence together and that also happens too so it's uh it really isn't standard for every race it really does evolve and i when i paced a girl and she's doing her first 50k and she got to a really difficult point and i said to her she was feeling low and i said you can run and cry you can run at the cry at the same time. You don't have to stop. You can run and cry at the same time, but can't keep moving because that's the only way you're going to get through it. Mm -hmm. And she did. Like, you know, I gave her her space and she, when she was finished her going through what she had to go through, she caught up with me. So it really, it's, it really is what happens in the moment. You know, I've talked to a number of ultra runners on the show over the years now, and Everybody seems to talk about the like big, maybe a roller coaster or the big ups and downs of emotions that come over an entire race. Like, I don't think anybody's ever said like, and in, uh, the whole thing was like, up oh, all sunshine and roses, just like everything went fine. Like, there's always some moment of darkness. So I just, yeah. Your your pep talk to say it's okay to run and cry at the same time I think is um, both enlightening and encouraging just to know like in the sense that you think about like just accept where you are mm -hmm. you know even if that place is not a great place and know that that's okay and you're still capable of continuing forward as well even if you are in that place oh absolutely and it's like uh, there's not one pit of darkness. The longer the race, there's more. Like it, it, it's a roll. It honestly is a roller coaster. And I've had times of where 
it I've went I've gone from oh yeah I could really go on yeah I yeah I could do this to get me off this course now and everything in between so I've been there and I've I've had my emotional meltdowns in the middle of grizzly country with no radio radio contact and I still have to get going and it is and it's it is an acceptance and just keep going forward and focus and it what matters is what what you're focusing on and I choose my focus to the next rock the next tree the next cactus or whatever it is and that really does help pull forward and yeah it's an emotional roller coaster the longer the race the more ups and downs and that's it's a disservice of what media shows because they show the start line when everyone's happy they show the finish line when everyone's happy but nobody knows what goes on in between and i saw a video it was courtney dewalter at the utmb mm -hmm. and they had a video of what she she had a rough go this race it wasn't until like I think last 15 miles that everyone came together and there was a video showing her in the video and she was not in a good place but she kept going and you know, it's too bad there's not more of that shown to show the reality of what goes on. Because, yeah, the finish line, it's either, yay, I'm done, or thank God I'm done, one of the two. Mm -hmm. But the spirit is always better. They don't show what happens at the in between at the aid stations and where somebody's losing their mind and having a meltdown and stuff. And it's that's all part of, it's part of it. You know, and I, I think about... Uh, maybe this is a, an assassination of the media, but I think about how you know media tries to grab our attention, right? They want to make, they want to build drama, they want to make it dramatic. And I would think that they would be like, that's exactly what we, we want. We want somebody crying while they're running and and like looking like they're about to fall over and then continuing like that's a very dramatic moment. You would think that they would, you know, whoever's doing the coverage would want to capture that at some point. The problem with that, they don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, that's true. That's true. They don't know when. Like, if uh, I can't say that it act it, that exactly at kilometer or mile number, whatever, I'm going to have a meltdown because it doesn't. <laughs> I, it doesn't happen that way. They usually come and attack you whenever you least expect it. Yeah, it's just you just write in a race plan. You're like, all right, 100k, first 10k, <laughs> we're going to feel great. The next 10k, not so great. My, at uh, 23k we're gonna have a mental break and we're gonna wonder why we're out here okay yeah just like planning the whole thing out let people know Th this is where i'm gonna have a tough time i need a, i need a snickers bar at mile 25 <laughs> if only it were that easy oh my god yeah <laughs> so that and that's predictable yeah so i mean it begs the question how do you prepare for that mentally i mean i Physically, you know, you put the miles in, you put the time in, but is that enough mentally to prepare for the ups and downs that you're going to go through? Well, that's part of the reason why I train the way I do. I train a lot of solo, and as I mentioned, I ran a marathon, and I've also ran a 50K using my driveway into the road and back, which is a, if I go to the, the corner and back, it's a, a one-kilometer loop, and if I use my driveway, it's a 200-meter loop type thing, mm -hmm. and I don't run with music. I run in silence, and when I did my marathon, it was a gut-sucking wind. It was just above freezing and a gut-sucking wind, mm -hmm. and it, it took strength to go through it, and 
And people say, well, how can you do that? It's so boring. I don't consider it boring. And I said, you know what? You can have the prettiest scenery in the planet, but it'll get boring at certain some point of time. When the sun goes down and it's dark, it can get boring. Mm-hmm. And when the putting in the miles, I always say, when you've done your training, race day is race day. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know that a storm's going to come in. You don't know that a cougar is going to walk in front of you. It's just be in that moment and be prepared. And I shouldn't say be prepared, but accept what's going to happen because you, you don't know. And just take, take the race as it comes and let it unfold. I think that's difficult for a lot of people is just being present, right? Like we, especially when you're planning for a race, you're doing all these things today, but you're preparing for the future. And then mm-hmm. that race arrives and it's now the present and there's no more preparing for the future. It's right now. It's happening right now. So I think, you know, this is something I think I'm generalizing, obviously, but I think a lot of us either live in the future or live in the past. And it's very yes. hard to be in the present and just be here right here right now absolutely that you nailed it and that's in a lot of ways i think uh, an issue with a lot of the world is because we either are in the future or are in the present but we're not here now and on a race course especially if you're running single track or you've got roots or rocks or whatever you need to be there now and it takes a lot of effort and energy to be here now because if you don't and i've had this i thought geez i have to email my coach and i face planted on the middle of the trail like it wasn't fun and then i wanted to cry but uh it it was uh it remind me reminder of no i have to pay attention here and now and that's that's exactly it you plan for the future by getting your gear knowing your nutrition new knowing what the weather's going to be like and that kind of thing but when it comes to the race yeah it's the focus on that race what's happening and how do i feel right now am i hungry am i thirsty what do i want the only future you can do is when you're coming into an aid station mm-hmm. is be prepared before you get into that aid station as to what you want yeah so there's not that time wasted especially when you're in the back of the pack there's not that time waste wasted going geez i don't know what i want when i come into the aid station i want ripple chips i want this i want that give me that away though mm-hmm. so it, it makes me wonder about so when i race um i've kind of relaxed a bit as you know uh, my speed starts to get away from me um as you know age creeps up but I, you know, I remember so many times having the like fear of somebody right behind me or sometimes the reality of somebody right behind me, you know, chasing me, trying to and then, you know, trying to drive forward to not get caught. It, do you have that feeling with like the specter of the cutoff line right behind your head as you're going or, it, or are you more relaxed about it than that? I'm more relaxed about it um, now. I'm gonna say uh, I used to. I used to be like, oh my god, am I gonna finish this race? Am I gonna finish this race? And my first DNF, that was a real, that was soul crushing for me. I mm-hmm. actually tripped. My lug caught a tree root I, within the first. I'm gonna say three kilometers of the race, and I landed hard on my right knee. Mm. And so I was in pain. And this was a 50 miler. I was in pain. I ended up going 
49 kilometers in that race before I had to pull the pin. And I had some good friends um, re, uh, put me into reality of, you know, give yourself thanks for what you did do. And realizing that cut off that finish isn't, we put so much pressure on the cut on the finish. Mm -hmm. I'll finish whether that's, you know, success or failure. And I'll bring back my 100 mile attempt at Havelina and I say a attempt, I was being videoed for a documentary for this race. Mm. And I went, oh my God, what if I don't finish? And um, the, the girl that wrote the article in Canadian, Canadian running magazine, trail special that I was featured in, she goes, it doesn't matter. And if that really brought up home, especially that race, if I looked at, I didn't finish. I've, I'm putting air, all my effort and energy into two seconds that it takes me to cross that finish line. Did I have the intention of finishing? Absolutely. And when it would come out to go for loop number four of five, my pacer said, well, here's the reality. You have to do this loop in four hours in order to, to meet the cutoff. And I said, well, um, that's not happening. And yes, we're going out. Mm -hmm. Because my whole thing was, I'm going to go until I can't go anymore. And that's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. Now, during that race, my first loop time was half an hour faster. My 100K time was an hour and 45 min minutes faster than the year before. And I had the most incredible sunrise experience. So when I looked at, no, I didn't get the buckle. Actually, what happened is I crossed the finish line to give my, give my, uh, um, chip in and the girl handed me the buckle and I said, oh, no, I can't accept that buckle. If I was dishonest, I could have taken the buckle and went home. And I said, mm -hmm. no, I can't do that. I didn't, didn't finish it. But the experience that I got, all, all I look at, the only thing that didn't happen was I, I finished. Yeah. But I had such an amazing race in between time. And when I look at, do I have in the mind that, yes, I have to, I've got this cutoff to make or have that? Yes, it is. And I also don't put so much pressure on it because if there, if it's too much right in the forefront, right in the forefront, you're not relaxed. And it's when you're relaxed that you have a good run, that you are actually able to go faster. Now, having said that, if I can see the finish line right there and I see the clock is almost at time, will I drop everything and just give her? Yes, I will. I will find strength that I have no idea where it is, where it mm -hmm. came from. But yes, I will do that at that point of time. Or if I know that, yeah, there's there's a, however distance left and I really got to go for it if I want to make it. Yes, I will put the hammer down and go. But other than that, I, I don't, as I say, not anymore. Yeah. Too strong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's a really beautiful way to approach it. And I mean, it's just like what we were talking about, like the ability to be present, right? It's you're, if you're only focused on the finish line, like you said, you're, you're putting all this effort into like, still this future event you're trying to get to for that one moment in time, instead of being present through the hours and hours of time it takes to actually do the entirety of the race. I feel like, you know, Maybe if you are only focused on the finish line, you miss the point. Yes. Yes, because there's so much that happens. And if you look at, say, for example, a 100-kilometer race, there's like 19, 20 hours of stuff that happens before you cross the finish line. And I'm talking from um, my 
my my experience of doing the heavily in 100 100k in 20 20 hours and 54. If I looked at just the finish line, I missed out everything in between the friendships I've made, the conversations, seeing a guy actually have a piece of cactus stuck in his leg, you know, type thing like that. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, like it's there's so much that's missed. Whereas it's it's an event when it comes down to it. Did I? It'd be like going to a party and only only looking forward and savoring the time that you leave. Mm. And there's when realizing there's a whole whole series of events that happened up to that point. And what, what's it like to run through the desert at high noon? What's it like to experience this? Or what's it like to be when the wind's blowing sideways and it's really cold? And how did I fare out? And when I look at each race, it's a learning experience. How did I fare out through each race? Is my training on point? Is my nutrition on point? Did I choose the right gear? Do I know how to access my bear spray in case I run across a bear? So like it's all all stuff through the race. Did I answer the question or did we go? <laughs> I, I go off on tracks all the time. Don't don't worry about that. Um, it, you make me think think about the the idea or the question. You know, you're talking about all these experiences and living through the experiences and simply being with them. Um, it comes with the territory, and I ask a little rhetorically, but can you enjoy suffering? You know what? It's it's funny you ask this question. I uh, One of my friends asked me, he goes, how are you so positive in the pain cave? <laughs> how are you so positive in the pain cave? And I just, I said, I, it was first went, I don't know. But then, uh, and I pondered this question for a few years, and oh, seriously, a few years, and it's almost bring it, because what's on the other side is usually a gift. Mm -hmm. And to get through that point, to get through that dark time, to get through that suffering, it's, it's, it proves what kind of resilience a person has. It proves the the grit, the determination, the stamina a person has. And it's what's on the, I got through that. Yay, I'm, I'm alive. I didn't die. And which is how I felt the first, the, the mud run, it was six kilometers of, of stuff. I honestly thought I was going to die and, or I was going to like get left behind when it proved it didn't. Oh, hey, that wasn't so bad. Let's bring on the next one. And have I been in pain caves? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, and in a lot of ways, it's, it's oh, here's a pain cave. Okay, well, let's just get through it. If it's physical pain, it's gonna last 20 minutes. Emotional pain, well, let's, let's go. It's not gonna last the whole race. Mm -hmm. it, some is longer, some is shorter. And when the dog gives up and goes in the house and you're left by yourself running, like, yeah, it's, no, I'm gonna finish this thing. That's, that's all there is to it. And keep in mind what that goal is. And for me, that, it could be to finish that race. It could be to just to finish what I'm doing. I, this may be a, uh, I, I was about to say this and I was like, I don't, I don't mean this is a, uh, a pun. This may be a chicken and egg problem. Um, <laughs> but I, I wonder about like that idea of, being able to to move through suffering 
realizing the impermanence of it, how that translates into everyday life. And then, and it becomes a chicken and egg problem because of, you know, how you grew up that maybe that helps inform how you race and then vice versa. Like, do you have a perspective on that, that the one influences the other or the other way around? Yeah, kind of. When I grew up, my mom always said I was stubborn. She's like, you know, you're so damn stubborn. Well, yeah, I got to live with you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I was always very stubborn. And my husband went and put it perfectly. He says, ultras are perfect for you because there you get to practice your stubborn in a safe spot. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought of it. And yeah, he's right. I get a chance because it's, it's a characteristic about me. And for a lot of, oh, you're stubborn. That's bad. Not in this environment. Not in an environment of an ultra or a race. And it could be half marathon too, of where something's not just going going right and you're really wishing the bus was there to get on it. And it's not, how do you get through? And it's that resilience. So uh, yeah, it plays out in, in life as well too, because there are things in life of where you're not getting your way right away. So what do you do? Do you give up? Do you keep going? Do you kind of back off and look and go, okay, hey, how can I pre- how can I approach this a little differently? So I look at it's it's almost a, um, an intertwinement. I'm not getting that promotion that I should be getting. Why not? Do I give up? No. Do I keep going? Do I see if the, if I'm not doing something quite right? It snowed last night. The tractor's not running. So what do I do? I take out the shovel and shovel. So it's yeah, it's as you say, a chicken and the egg. Well, it's which did come first. Mm-hmm. I think that begs the next question of how do you balance, you know, like you, you mentioned that there's that race you didn't finish, you fell and you were in a lot of pain. How do you balance being stubborn and keeping yourself safe, maybe? I, being smart is not quite the right thing. Do you know what I'm saying, though? Like, how when you, there's a point when, it really is not good to continue and the stubbornness if you let it get to you can be a detriment to you so h- how do you balance like allowing the stubborn sherry to take over and then uh, you know allowing that other side that's like no this is really probably not a good idea like how do you balance those two where's the stubbornness coming from if it's coming from ego then that's not that is good that's where i believe the injury is going to set in and one thing i do is check in if if it's not going well the pain is it is it for example is it is it sharp pain is it coming from a joint that's a time to pull a pin are you injured and that's why i pulled the pin because i well i was gonna i, I wasn't gonna make cut off anyway mm-hmm. but injury that's a time to pull it if it's for example if it's your muscles calling you a jackass well, giddy up and get going because the thing is, it's going to like that, that type of pain cycles. Like you'll have a pain here. Well, it's cycle over there mm-hmm. or else. And look at the situation. I had one, it was a race where we had to cross the river and the river was flowing. It was just above freezing. The temperature was dropping. And I looked and I went, there's no guide rail. I would have to walk across the river. And I just went, um, if I slipped and fell, nobody would see me. And so anyway, the canoe was there and I went and called over the canoe. I hopped in the canoe 
And I says, okay, take me across the river. And the race director happened to be there. He goes, what are you doing? I says, I'm crossing the river. He says, you're supposed to get wet. So I smacked my hand and I'm, you know, water flying all over the place. He says, you are supposed to cross the river. You'll get wet. I says, I'm getting wet. I'm crossing the river. And if you don't mind, let me leave me alone. I'm going to cross the river right now. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm going to do it safely. And that's the key that, um, I'm saying mental focus, but that awareness Mm -hmm. of where you're actually looking at that situation. If I go on in this situation, is that, is that life threatening? Is it worth it? Is this a goal race? Because if it's a goal race that I've traveled to, I might handle things a little differently. Mm -hmm. But if it's a race that I can come back to because it's in my neighborhood or easily access or it's not a goal race, no, I'll pull the pin. I'll look and go, not worth it. Look at the elites. They don't finish every race they start. If they're starting to have problems, they will pull the pin for the next race because they've got other races coming. So when I look at how important is finishing this race to me? If it's not everything that I've ever threw my chips in, a friend of mine finished UTMB on a broken leg. And I'm like, wow, how could you do that? She goes, I earned this. This is a one-time shot. I was finishing it. And she Mm -hmm. prepared herself so she could finish. So I would say, look at the circumstance. Look, What's that whole circumstance entail? If it's a goal race, not a goal race, how injured are you? If you have hypothermia, no, I'm sorry, pull the pin because that's that's not worth it yeah i I think you described it really succinctly and it's like you said where's the stubbornness coming from is it coming from a place of ego and that's young athletes especially and i was certainly uh in this category so i speaking to my younger self but just i think it's hard to have the awareness of some of that stuff where it's like Am I putting myself in danger? Because I, I, I pick on young athletes because there's you haven't necessarily gone through trauma yet, and you kind of feel a little more invulnerable, right? Whereas like you get a little more experience, or maybe you're around people that have more experience, and they're like, you know, crossing the river, like if you slip and fall, nobody's gonna see you. That's a very bad situation. You know, let's how do we negotiate this instead? And that. It has to come from a place that isn't ego because you're not puffing yourself up and going, well, if I slip and fall, I could just swim through the river and it's fine. You know, you're going, no, realistically, I know my limits and this could be dangerous for me. Um, you know, because there's a, there's the idea or the, the sense that like, you know, our will conquers all and like, we'll just, you know, power for it's like, well, it's a useful idea, but can be dangerous in some circumstances. Absolutely. And they also have to uh, realize, and this was even during my tenure in Kung Fu, this is recreation. I'm not getting paid to do this. Yeah. This is recreation. And what's the fallout if I continue? And, um, and this is actually, I was crewing a, a good friend of mine and he had blisters on the bottom of his feet, like all the blisters. He wasn't walking very well and he still had another loop left to go for his 100 mile. And he says, I'm pulling the pin. And I said, wait a minute, let's just sit and talk about it. And I said to him, I'm not going to force you to do anything you don't want to do. And I said, you have to, I said, come Monday or Tuesday or whatever, you got to wear work boots. How is this going to affect? And he 
when he looked at everything, we looked at the broad picture because it's easy to get focused. Oh, I got to, I got to finish. I got to carry on. But when you look at a realistic, this is entertainment. This is recreation. <laughs> There's no big million dollar sponsorship. There's nothing on that hanging. So what we do depends on us. And if I did something that impairs, say, for example, something else, uh, if it was a job or if it wasn't my ability to do something, how does that all fit? And when we have that perspective, then we're easier to make, we, we find ourselves easier to make that call. Because if, if we, if somebody, say for example, they torqued their knee out or they, they broke something, that's how many months of not only having that injury, but coming back from that injury, having that injury heal. And my friend, when we talked about it on the way home, he was actually very good with his decision. He says, no, I made the right decision and you have to be okay with that. And I, when I said to him, I said, okay, whatever decision you make, you got to be okay with it when you wake up tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, sure. We're starting to run down on time. Uh, so it, if you don't know, uh, for any listeners, the show has been around, they know I, I ask everybody for a single season, one question. So this is a question that, you know, transcends disciplines and people and time zones and all the kind of things. Um, this year's question, I think is especially important. Um, a friend posed it to me because I certainly don't do it enough. She doesn't do it enough. Um, and many of us don't. So I'm kind of polling to see what people do and, you know, maybe how I can improve myself. So I want to ask you, how do you celebrate your wins? Ooh, how I celebrate my wins. Um, you know, what came into my mind is um, my husband doesn't come with me to all my races. He will come to a few races. And what he does do for supporting is he comes in from what he's doing. He sits down and I go over that whole race with him. He wants to see my swag. He wants to see like, you know, buckle. He wants to hear about the race. And a lot of ways I get to recount it as mm -hmm. well. Now, after the race, I want to make sure uh, I love grapefruit rattler. So there's a celebration in there somewhere. And also another thing is I do a heathen week after a major race. And what that means is I don't, I'm not concerned about training. I'm not concerned about how I eat. In fact, get away. You know, don't do not be in between me and the refrigerator or a bag of ripple chips. That's a dangerous spot, but I just let myself be. And I let myself celebrate, like, you know, soak it all in. And when I'm ready to come back, not when my training schedule says so, and my coach is really good with that. He's, it's when I am ready to come back, then I'll come back. And I'm allowing myself that downtime. This is pretty solid. And in a way, you kind of answered uh, my season one question. If you could only choose one recovery food for the rest of your life, what what would you choose? Most people chose some, you know, some kind of, I'll say junk food, but just like comfort foods. You know, it's like you put in all that hard work and then you want something. You want some kind of treat after all the work and dedication and all that kind of stuff. Bacon, bacon. There's got to be bacon in there somewhere. <laughs> it's got to be bacon. I don't know if I got bacon for the for that question, so I'm, I'm going to take yours as as the official answer there. Um, Sherry, if people want to check up, see what you're doing, get in touch with you, um, get your help on that mental side, where can they find you? Uh, Instagram, 
I'm Trail Runner's Journey on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube as well, Trail Runner's Journey. My website, trailrunnersjourney.com. Um, I am on uh, Facebook. Actually, I have my personal profile. Yeah, you can contact me there as well, too. Sounds good. Sherry, thanks for hanging out with me today. Oh, thank you, Jesse. It was, it was awesome.